0: Hello and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers and today I'm pleased to be joined by Kirk Bray. Kirk is the Principal Consultant with Accelerated Reliability Solutions and an instructor on HALT and HASS methods. He has almost 30 years of experience in reliability testing, engineering, and management (coughs) positions. He was a senior reliability test engineer at Dell's desktop PC organization, where he developed highly accelerated stress audit procedures for power supplies. Kirk also co-authored an IEEE paper that describes opportunities to improve reliability and reduce cost by performing accelerated testing at temperatures higher than what's in the design specifications. He's a senior member of IEEE, and contributes regularly to conferences all over North America. Kirk, welcome and thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, Tim.
0: It's great to be here. Kirk, you've told me that you're proud of the fact that you're not a trained reliability engineer. What is it about traditional reliability training that you particularly object to?
1: Well, Tim, basically, if we look at the history of reliability engineering, and electronics reliability training, we see that most of it is focused on the intrinsic wearout modes of components. And the reality of electronics reliability engineering is that the biggest cost and biggest expense for any company is in the beginning of the introduction of the product and the first few years of the product's use. And in most cases, in fact, the vast majority of cases, the intrinsic wear out mode is usually not involved. So there's very little supporting evidence to the correlation between causes of field unreliability and the models that have been used in electronics reliability predictions that have been uh, very misleading in the effort to improve the reliability or improve the warranty and early life costs of failure in electronics.
0: Kirk, this is really interesting. Uh, a, A lot of industries, I'd say probably most industries, rely on accelerated or stress testing to help them evaluate new designs and prototypes. Is there evidence that this testing is actually useful in preventing reliability failures? Well, actually there is, and it's been known for quite a
1: long time that any kind of stress helps precipitate uh, some of the defects that would occur in the field. Uh, this was certainly started early in the 60s and 70s by the military's use of environmental stress screening, which the uh, evidence is, is, has been strong. Uh, the <clears throat> evidence in the commercial industry is very difficult to achieve, to uh, find, but most electronic systems are tested with some sort of limited stress conditions and that has been proven beneficial. The real efficiency comes about when you start to orient yourself to the empirical strength of the product and what it can withstand, what it tells you uh, when you test stress tested to its limits, which is the world of Halton has using those right. limits and orienting yourself to uh, using the full strength capability of a product to find the weaknesses is the major frame of reference shift that uh, Greg Hobbs taught with his creation of HALT and HALT methodologies.
0: Kirk, is this an example of? We hear a lot about testing to failure versus testing to spec. Is this is this an example of what you're talking about? Absolutely, Tim.
1: That's a very good way of terming it. Uh, instead of using the uh, specifications or the worst case, the assumed worst case in-use environment and trying to uh, simulate that, halt and hass is a way of stimulating the discovery of weaknesses in a product so that early on before the product reaches a customer or in if possible early in the mass production uh, you have the ability to find most or the vast majority of weaknesses in the product would cause its early life failure uh, sometimes fault can show you uh, longer term wear out modes also but mostly uh, the the uh, lowest weaknesses or what you We want to discover in HALT. They overlook design and margins uh, and improve the product uh, before you
0: start producing it in large quantities. Sure. So, given all these concerns and the lack of correlation between test results and actual field performance, why do you think this approach has been so persistent in so many industries? Well, Tim, I
1: think the real problem is the actual fact that reliability data and reliability information is so uh, sensitive to any commercial electronics company that it's never going to be uh, disclosed that uh, are the real causes of electronics in a large scale are never going to be disclosed by any company voluntarily. Electronic failures are the most sensitive data that any uh, competitive company has, and usually there's a very uh, there's all kinds of politics and uh, departments and blame passed around with failures. So in general, they're uh, they're an ugly part that nobody wants to look at. But yet. Without studying unreliability, nobody uh, can really improve reliability. That's the fundamental, is to understand reliability, you must study unreliability.
0: So I don't no, think let me, this- Let me get the choice Go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, it seems like there's less attention that's being given to the fundamental science of what's going on when something fails, you know, what the reliability uh, failure modes are. Do you see that uh, as as part of the problem?
1: Well, yes, and it's, it is the fundamental problem, Tim, uh, that reliability uh, in many companies, uh, the unreliability, the products that failed may go back to another location, may go back to the contracting manufacturer. Uh, sometimes that information is very, very difficult for even the internal people to get. So uh, it has always been a difficult, and and when you do find the failures, understanding the root cause of those failures, it does require some investigations. And uh, that's uh, one of the uh, challenges to uh, understanding unreliability, is being able to go deep enough into the product and to understand the systems to be able to come up with a uh, root cause. I think the sure. GM ignition switch problem really yes. illustrated that, one of the few that became very public and it's cost GM millions in recalls. Sure. Um, this was a basic, uh, could have been observed very early on with if the uh, switch rotation torque had been actually tested and compared to uh, the established standards so actually, you see this as
0: a you see this as a problem in the design of the test itself?
1: I see it as a problem of the historic uh, uh, hit the well, the history of reliability engineering that mm-hmm. we uh, it began in a time when components were uh, a real uh, the major factor would when vacuum tubes, and discrete components were used, and that was true that the components were probably the major factor in reliability. That's that's a bit long uh, gone, 40 years ago, and solid state electronics, uh, the wear out mode is is, uh, significantly uh, much longer than technological obsolescence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, there's a bathtub drain that causes uh, no, very few products to be run to an actual wear out mode except for like power generation systems, uh, long term some long term applications but it's rare that anybody looks at 10 year old electronics to look for wear out modes because they're probably no longer relevant in today's technology
0: that's interesting so we're basically testing for a lifetime of the product that is probably not realistic, particularly in consumer electronics, is that right?
1: Yes, and particularly in consumer electronics, almost always there's features and performance that make you uh, want to buy, for instance, the new iPhone 6. You get a larger screen, you get some more features, longer battery life. That's what should motivate uh, the customer to buy a new product, not because his product failed. In fact, you're probably gonna lose a customer if your product failed. Uh, prematurely, Uh, but technological uh, improvements are what really drives the market and should be
0: driving the market. Right. So, Kirk, it sounds like what you're saying is we're spending time and energy and money doing testing that really doesn't add a lot of value.
1: Yes. Well, we do have some value added with almost any test, including burn-in. It usually has some precipitation. What we're not doing is we're doing the most efficient testing and the most effective, where we should be in during the early design, as soon as we have a prototype or early product pilot runs, we should be testing them to absolutely all the stress limits, voltage, vibration, temperature, and using combinations of those stresses to find the boundaries and to find the opportunities where there might be a weakness we can improve. It's only until we discover an issue or a weakness that we can judge whether it's relevant to the field or not. Mm. And most every weakness you find, you'll find when you investigate it further or look back in the field records of previous predecessor products, you will find that that mechanism has a very good probability of being a a weakness that would cause unreliability.
0: Got it, Kirk. I understand that companies are reluctant to share this kind of information, but are you aware of any industries or companies out there that provide a, a better role model for reliability testing?
1: Well, I do, Tim. But like many in this industry, we're all locked by non-disclosure agreements, and uh, I cannot. Uh, disclose any of the uh, great uh, successes many of the companies I've worked with have had. Uh, There have been some that have been public about it Uh, in the past. uh, Some have shown some data, and mostly it's come from uh, some of the government uh, systems. But uh, in general, uh, those, there are companies using HALT and HASS, uh, and they have, Considered it proprietary, so uh, it's very difficult because most of the companies that find a very effective process don't disclose it to their competitors. So it's it's a very difficult field to progress with or get uh, farther along uh, because of its secrecy and lack of sharing of data. And uh, sure. I would love I would love for more industries to publish. Uh, Google has done some publications of reliability of hard disk drives. There are other papers if you look at uh, the industry that show uh, some of the suggestions that uh, would uh, you would see that they're using some limit testing. But uh, it's a very uh, it's a very difficult field uh, to promote or show data supporting data because of the sensitivity and the litigation liability and all the other factors of uh, releasing any failure information.
0: Right. Kirk, one last question. Um, How do we improve this situation? What can be done to uh, bring uh, better, um, you know, rigor to our reliability testing and help it become more effective?
1: Well, Tim, that's a good question. I, I, I certainly think that if we move our our orientation to believing that we can uh, really know the, the, the field, uh, life cycle, environmental profiles, which we really, it's very rare that we can. We make assumptions about them. But instead, we rely on the actual boundaries, and I show, for instance, a stress boundary map that you might look at, uh, well, halt and half leads to these kinds of approaches. And thought, and the new paradigm shift of looking at the boundaries as the orientation for reliability. What we have in here is the uh, stress-strength diagram, which many have been uh, aware of in this industry. Where anywhere that the strength, are uh, the strength, overlaps the stress, you have failures and Uh, What we normally are testing to is a very limited four-corner test. If we orient ourselves to testing to boundaries, we generally find a huge difference between the empirical boundary and the use, uh, the environmental use conditions. By using and looking at the width especially, we can do comparative boundary analysis. So we see a place, where if we test several samples, uh, we see with this stress there's a very wide distribution of that boundary. That would indicate very strongly that there would be a, a wide distribution in the manufacturing variability and, of course, as those tails of the distribution may get to, into the actual use environment where it would cause failures. So. These are things to be built on, but once you get to, it's only after you start to orient yourself to the empirical boundaries and limits that you can start to explore uh, this methodology a little better. There's a lot to be done in Halt and uh ever since Greg has taken that orientation of empirical boundaries. There's a lot of data there that has never been, uh, that is rarely, Uh, looked at as an advantage to uh, making reliability assessments Uh, and I basically think that there's no way to uh, very little way to quantify the actual uh, lifetime of electronic solid state electronic hardware so that we really need to move away from quantifying time to finding and reducing especially the front end of the bathtub curve which can only be done through uh, discovery testing.
0: Got it. Kirk, thanks so much for your insights today.
1: Thank you, Tim, and thanks, Brad, for orienting this and putting this together.
0: But that was Kirk Gray, Principal Reliability Consultant at Accelerated Reliability S- Solutions. For more, please go to www accelerated reliability this is Tim Rogers thanks for joining us